Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Acts chapter 4, let's preach this morning. Acts chapter 4, we're doing a series on the book of Acts. Uh, the story continues. This is the third, uh, the third part of this. If you're behind uh, Facebook, YouTube, iTunes, you can get caught up uh, uh, with it. It's a great book. One thing I like about the book of Acts, it's, it's diversity. It touches all kinds of different topics, as you will see this morning. So we're working our way through the book of Acts. Maybe not every verse or every story, but heavily thematic uh, through that. So in previous messages, the last couple of weeks, we've talked about Jesus' experience with and teaching about the Holy Spirit. We looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. We looked at the emerging habits and patterns of the new church last week. We looked at the miracle at the beautiful gate and the first arrest of the apostles. So that's kind of where we're at. And we'll start in uh, Acts 4 today, just kind of finish that up a little bit. So as we read through the scriptures today, I want you to look at when you see the word great, great. And then I just want you to see the, the, the context and the reference just as we're kind of reading through that. So this story, this part of the passage starts after the arrest and release of Peter and John. If you remember, they were arrested right after the miracle uh, at the beautiful gate. And uh, so they were arrested and released. And this story is kind of like the end of Acts 2. It just kind of gives you an idea, kind of the, the growth and maturity of the church. So... Acts 4 and 32, it says, All believers were in one heart and mind. Not one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was at work in them all. And there were no needy persons among them. Okay, so there's... Uh, maybe kind of sounds familiar from Acts 2, the end of Acts 2. It kind of has the same kind of feel in Acts 4. They're kind of giving, he's just kind of making some observations, maybe not necessarily a pattern to live by, but just some ob- organic observations of what was happening in the church at this particular time. So it mentions several things. I just want to touch them quickly. All right. They were in unity. They were in one mind, in one accord. It said all believers were in one heart and one mind. So there was a spirit of unity together. They were united that they all believed in the the death and the resurrection, the life of Jesus. They were united by the mission of the church and this great opportunity that they were seeing. They were were united by their relationships. They were in unity. They loved each other and they they were in relationship there. So they had some broad areas of agreement. But let me just say to you, unity of uh, spirit is not necessarily uniformity of thought. Unity of spirit is not necessarily the uniformity of thought. So there may be, there may be things that we 
disagree on, but ultimately the things that draw us together are unmovable and almost the same. Our belief in the person and the work of Jesus, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, the mission of the church unites us. Uh, you know, we have relationships with each other, so there, that's a uniting factor within itself. So there can be disagreement among believers about other things as well. You know, for instance, your college sports. I've been trying to walk you down a different path of light, okay? I have been rudely rejected for almost nine years, okay? So there is diversity in that area, but I overlooked that, but we have a, a common area of, agree of agreement. So a unity says, I value the relationship and it is greater than our disagreements because things happen. Things happen in people, you know, things happen in relationships and there, there can be you know, there can be diversity of thought and even disagreements that, that happen in the body, as you'll see in a, in a couple of chapters, you know, but as long as we realize, you know, that, that, there, we are re, that we are united by some common things, the person and the work of Jesus, the mission of the church, and man, our, our relationship and the importance of unity. So they, they were in unity. They were generous, all right? They were selling property, giving houses, you know, so, and they were giving it so that the needs of the poor could be met. So there were people that had a few dollars and they were donating property, they were selling property and homes, giving it to the church for the disbursement to, to the poor. Now, let me say, these weren't rich people at all. When they said, you know, they were selling property, it might have been like a 20 by 20 plot of property. You know, it wasn't mansions, they, but they probably didn't have disposable cash, you know, so they were just doing what they could do, giving it to the poor, giving it to the church. So let me just say this. God uses people to fund kingdom projects. God uses people to fund kingdom projects. So I want to say to you. If you feel like your life has been blessed financially, enjoy the fruit of the blessing of the Lord that rests upon you, but also be aware that there may be a kingdom purpose attached to the blessing that you are walking in. Okay? All right? It, it's okay to enjoy the fruit of God's blessing, but please keep in mind, there may be a reason that God is blessing you. There may be something in the kingdom that he wants you to fund. Now, to them, their kingdom purpose was, out of this verse, that there was no one needy so that they gave from the abundance that they had. So their kingdom purpose was benevolence, community benevolence, making sure that people had food and shelter. So they were giving their blessing for the kingdom purpose of the poor. God may lay upon your heart, you know, to fund something else in the kingdom. But so I'm just saying, if you got a few dollars and you ever go, Lord, you've been, you've been good to me, that blessing is for many, many reasons, but there also may be something that the Lord wants you to do. But I'll just say this. You be faithful with your money, okay? You be faithful to fund what's on your heart. God will always replenish. 
God will always give. You will never outgive God. When he knows that if you're obedient with what he puts in your hand, he'll just keep putting it in your hand and you can just keep funding more and more projects. He said, give and it shall be given. Pressed down, shaken together like a bag of flour. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. When you're generous, he will be generous to you. So, they were, they were in unity, they were, uh, uh, they, they were generous, they were experiencing great power, okay? So what, is that, what does that mean? So they weren't just uh, being faithful in the preaching and the witnessing, but they noticed there was something different about what they were doing. There was a power that was coming on them when they were doing, you know, these particular acts. Can I remind you that when we step out and minister for the Lord, we do not do that on our own, okay? There is a clothing and an equipping that will come from the Holy Spirit. So there was some unusual things to the point where the writer Luke is reflecting back on this, which probably meant that great power that was upon them is probably just sensed God's tangible presence. I don't want to be over mystical, but have you just ever sensed God's presence upon you at some times? Just, man, when you just, you just sense that clothing, you just sense that, that awareness that the Lord is with you. So it's probably a tangible presence, but also they could see and sense when they preached and witnessed the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the response of people, uh, and also signs and wonders. So there was this great power that they were experiencing as well, and they were also experiencing great Grace, a kindness, a generosity, a care for others, a forgiveness. They saw God forgiving people. It says great grace was at work in them all. So this, this power was working in them all. This great grace, this forgiveness, this generosity, this kindness was occurring in the midst of unity and generosity. And I want to tell you something. I just think that's a good pattern there as well. There's some things that we can learn. Be in unity, you know, be generous, and God can send great power and great grace upon the church. So the chapter ends this way, okay? From time to time, those that own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet, period, Chapter 4 ends. <clears throat> Let's go to chapter 5, all right? Because now we got, a, we got a problem we got to deal with. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? 
And after you sold it, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have lied, uh, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who, uh, who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Now, the same story happens with his wife. She comes in, the same thing happens. And verse 11 says, Great fear seized the whole church, all who heard about these events. So, Ananias and Sapphira are following the example of others that they had seen in the church. We saw it referenced several times in the previous verses that people were selling homes, they were selling property, they were bringing the money, they were giving it to the church to be dispensed, you know, for the poor. So evidently, Ananias and Sapphira at some point had made a public you know, commitment. They went to the front of the church. Here's what we're going to do. Or they went in front of the apostles. Evidently, they had made some type of public commitment of the proceeds of this property that they were giving to the church. Okay, so let's just learn some things from Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, I think, you know, they wanted to impress others. All right. Their commitment was not to the poor. It was all about the applause of the congregation. Okay? It was not about the poor. It was about the applause and the pats on the back and the whispers of how wonderful, how wonderful they are. Can you imagine what their Instagram stories look like on that day? Standing before the church giving money, wiping tears. This property has been in my family for years. What a sacrifice. Get that picture here. I'm handing it here, handing it here, wiping, wiping a tear. Can you imagine what that, what that looked like? All right. So it was all about impressing others, a perception of godliness and spirituality. Okay. Uh, let me just say to you today, we don't know what your life is like at home. We don't know, you know, we, we, everybody uh, looks good on, uh, on social media, right? Everybody puts their best picture. You don't see anybody waking up in the morning and putting a bed shot on social media, right? That, Lord, no. That'd be reported to the standards people, okay? All right, so... So it's easy sometimes to, you know, have, have an image that you don't really live up to. But I want to say God knows the heart. God knows the heart. Your smile, you know, your life, your hands look good to everyone else, but it may be a long way from being pleasing to the Lord. If in your life, the opinion and the applause of the church are what you live for, you are wrong. You might be happy on a Sunday afternoon, but you might be sad on judgment day. All right? So, they, they lived to impress others. They were, they were living, so, you know, they were promoting something that they, were, they, that they weren't living. They also lied. Peter mentioned that. They publicly told people 
They were going to do one thing, but they did the opposite. So lying is bad in any circumstance and situation. But a lie uh, attached to a spiritual purpose seems to be worse. All right? He pointed that out. He said, you just didn't lie to humans. You lied also to God. So not only did they lie, but they, they attached it to, they attached it to a, a spiritual purpose. And something else that we can learn from Ananias and Sapphira, they loved money. They loved money. Something had part of their heart. They came to church. They knew people. They seemed to be involved. They got in the spirit of kind of what was going on in, in, in the local church. But yet something had captured their heart. There was an area of their life that was not totally yielded over to the Lord, given to the Lord, and it had to do with money. If there was ever a true statement in Scripture, it is this. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money, it's the root. It's the foundation why people do what they do sometimes. Theft embezzlement, crime, murder, you know, all kinds of things. It's the root. The love of money is the root of, of all evil. So they gave this money, you know, for a worthy cause, but they kept some of it for themselves. Now listen, they could have done whatever they wanted to. That, that Peter pointed that out. You know, you could have sold the property and said we're going to give half. And they, they could have done that. But, you know, they made that commitment. And then when it was time to write the check, they just couldn't do it because there was something gripping their heart. And it was money. You think money is working for you, but for many, you are wrong. You are actually the slave. It is your master, and it dominates your life. It dominates your self-image. We purchase things that we can't afford so, so that everyone can look and see how prosperous, prosperous we are. We work more hours than we need to or is healthy for our families because we have this desire for money and, and, and for for, for prosperity in our life. We sacrifice our family unnecessarily many times because we love money. Okay? Ananias and Sapphira, that's what they did. That's what they did. They couldn't, they just, they couldn't give it all. So I just want to ask you, where's, you know, what, what's holding you back? Phanonis and Sapphira, there was something, there was a part of their heart that wasn't given, given over to the Lord, and it was money. Is there a part of your life that's just not yielded to the Lord? You come to church, you worship, maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but there's this one area of your life that you've never been able to give over, over to the Lord. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of the service. So in, in light of this story, I have a question. I have a question. What do you think? In a great awakening and outpouring of God's presence, God's judgment of sin could potentially be harsher. What do you think? In a great awakening or outpouring of God's presence, God's judgment for sin of sin could potentially 
be harsher. Okay? We are seeing them in a great season of power and of great grace and also fear. Okay? We forget that sometimes the same God of power and awakening and revival is the same God of godliness and holiness as well. Where much is given, much is required. We always want a visitation and we always want the miraculous and we may need to remember that as God is pouring those things out as well, that he's also cleansing and purging the church. So you'll stop praying for revival now, right? <laughs> Listen, he's a God of righteousness. He is a God of holiness, okay? He is a, he's a God that's coming back for his bride one day, and he wants that bride to be spotless and pure. So as he's pouring out his spirit and his presence, there's also the working of the Holy Spirit upon our lives to purchase uh, uh, to, to cleanse and purge and refine the church so that we are walking in greater holiness and godliness as well. We want to walk in greater faith and miracles and signs and wonders. I think there's a connection with all of it that he wants us walking in greater fear of the Lord and godliness and righteousness. And I think we can see that from this, from this passage. I also want to say too that when God's presence comes upon us, He's not only He comes not only to empower and convict, but to also cleanse. Okay, listen to me. He's not just the God of judgment. Okay, but He's the God that if you've got a part of your life that you've been struggling with, He's there to cleanse. He's that's why the that term sanctify and cleanse is there. When He moves in power, He's also coming to to cleanse and heal and set free and break bondages over your lives. So, man, when, when the Holy Spirit comes, as we see, he comes multifaceted and he does many, many, many things. So, all right, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Do you remember the image from last week? You had the temple and you had the, the porch that went all the way around the temple that was called Solomon's colonnade that they could kind of get out of the sun. <clears throat> so all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people, Okay. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick, those tormented by impure spirits. All of them were healed. So several things just happening in this particular passage. Number one, people were afraid to be around the apostles. All right? Hey, I don't blame them after what just happened with Ananias and Sapphira. I wouldn't be hanging out with them either. And I certainly wouldn't be discussing my contributions to the church. So they're, they're just kind of by themselves, okay? Um, and, then it's, and then also we see there was this unbelievable confidence in faith in God and the apostles, okay? And we see that, we see that 
I mean, that crowds are, are coming. And there was this confidence there. You know, um, people, when they heard the apostles were coming, they, they were laying their sick in the streets because they, they, this faith of belief that if just the shadow of some of them fell on them, that they would be healed. So there's this unusual confidence. There's this unbelievable faith that is, that is, that is happening. There seems to be an elevated, an elevated faith, you know, uh, a community elevated faith. Crowds are coming from all around, okay? So now this is starting to, this is starting to get out, but there's this belief, this collective belief, this collective faith that happens. I, I just want to say it's the same here today. God is looking for people with faith. God's looking for a church with faith. There's a, an, an elevated faith. When it, when it happens, God, God can do more. And that just that seems, to, seems to be happening. Man, they're, 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 they're traveling from out of town to be healed. They heard that there is something happening. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter the amount of social media advertising or on television. There is nothing that replaces the personal testimony of someone who's been touched by Jesus or a church that has seen God move in a powerful way. The word gets out. And that's what you see. That's what you see here. Now look at verse 17. So they're all under Solomon's colonnade. They're afraid to get around the apostles. Some people are. Man, their people are being healed. The church is growing. One writer estimates that at this point, and it's several years from Pentecost, that the church is 10,000 or more. Very large number of people. Verse 17. Then the high priest and all of his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people about this new life. I love that phrase. Go tell them about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. Verse 25, then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers uh, and brought the apostles. They did not force them because they feared the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. He said, we gave you strict orders, remember from last week, not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him from the cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given those to obey. Do you see the connection between persecution and evangelism? 
You know, he's not out a lawyer. He doesn't have a GoFundMe. You know, he's, he's just trying to let people know what's, what's going on. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. His speech persuaded them. They called in the apostles, had them flogged, and then ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they were rearrested. They were arrested, you know, just... You know, not, not long before, and the crime that they had committed was preaching in the name of Jesus. Okay, that was the crime. Now, let me say, after they were released and returned, you know, from the, the previous arrest, they returned back to Solomon's colonnade. They went back to the temple. They did not run from this message. They did not hide outside the city. They went again and stood in the temple courts. Listen to me. We always want to be wise in how we handle public gospel presentations, but we will never run and we will never hide from presenting the truth to a lost and dying world. We'll never do it. We'll never do it. All right? So they're out preaching. They're not passing out midnight tracks. You know, they're, they're out bold. They're in the temple courts again. Went back to the temple. And, you know, with all, all of those folks are there. So they are arrested and they are put in jail. because then their crime was preaching the name of Jesus. Mentioning the name of Jesus. Representing the names of Jesus. Let me tell you, folks. I think we are ha- headed that way in our nation. I love our country, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a dividing line over the preaching of the gospel and the stand for gospel truth. It's, going to, it's, it's happening. So they are in jail. The angel appears to them, uh, awakens them, speaks to them, unlocks the door. Okay? Can I just tell you, I would have absolutely passed out. Okay? <laughs> My story would have read, read, read much differently than theirs. You know, I would, I would have just died. But they get up and they go back to the temple court. Okay, they go back to the temple court. Can I just ask you something? What is it about the name of Jesus? What is it about the name of Jesus that just impacts so many people, that, that, that thrills so many people, that makes so many people angry? They're, they're, the sentence, do not speak in the name of Jesus, all right? Maybe you've seen this graphic around, I'm gonna let them put it up here, coexist. You ever seen that? So, you know, all of the, the, all of the religions of the world are, are represented. They're all kind of, you know, on the, the same, you know, same level there. You see this in, in different, in different formats. And I just want to speak to that kind of, and that, you know, the, the name of Jesus in the age that we live, okay? We are kind to everyone, and we are respectful to everyone regardless of their beliefs, all right? We don't throw bombs. We don't put stupid stuff on social media disrespecting other beliefs. We don't do that, okay? 
We are kind. We are respectful of those that believe differently because I cannot reach people who I have, uh, you know, unwisely angered, okay? But at the same time, at the same time, you know, there's something that we need to consider when we think about like this and all the religions of the world, okay? Someone out of all these groups, someone is right and someone's wrong, okay? Everybody, everyone that you see represented on this graphic can't be right. There's too much diversity, religious diversity on that. So truth, biblical truth is held in one, okay? Biblical truth is held in one, all right? We're respectful to every belief, but biblical truth is only held in one of those, okay? Now, everyone might, you know, might be, you know, well-meaning, and they might be, you know, have, have their beliefs, you know, have, have some sincerity in their beliefs, but sincerity does not guarantee truth, okay? Just because someone is sincere and they're well-meaning does not does not mean that is the representative of the biblical truth. So while we are kind to everyone and we respect everyone's belief, man, we believe in the name of Jesus. They kept saying, don't speak in his name. And I'm just telling you, I, I believe from the, the, just the foundations of the world, the emerging of world religions and many other things, I think gospel truth comes through the Christian faith and the Christian church. We read this verse last week. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind in which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. All right? So that's what they kept saying. That was the file. Don't, don't, don't preach in that name anymore but I'm just telling you that name brings salvation to some and it brings anger to others it brings you know it, it, it uh, brings all has all kinds of different reactions but as we go forth in this world we never stop teaching and preaching the name of Jesus if you believe that say amen, amen. worship team you can come worship team you can come and I loved I love Peter's response, okay? I love Peter's response. Again, it's another unplanned message, okay? He hadn't, hadn't planned on it, but I just, I, I love this representation of Peter's response. So what can we learn from Peter's three denials of Christ and his three messages in acts of hope and redemption? He denied three times, and this is the third message of hope and redemption that he is that he's presenting on behalf of the gospel that God is a God of repentance forgiveness and he is a God of second chances okay who would have been the most undependable one to speak in a crisis moment like who has the worst track record out of all of those apostles of someone, you know, who, who uh, can't handle the heat. He can't handle, you know, witnessing for the Lord with an adversarial audience. Who had been the one you would not have chosen? That would have been Peter, right? He couldn't even. There was a little girl, teenage girl. After Jesus, 
was arrested. Hey, are you a follower of Jesus? No, I'm not. You know what? God never gives up on us. I love that. So this is the, he denied him three times. This is the third sermon. God will always give you a second chance. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you've failed. Doesn't matter to me what sin, you know, that you have committed. I've gone too far. You don't know what's in my past. I have failed God so many times. It doesn't matter. God is a God of forgiveness. He's a God of hope. He is a God of restoration. And if, if you, you have a problem in your past, you know what? God will turn around and use that in your future. God took the very weakness. Peter could not stand for Christ in adversarial audiences. And now three times over the course of a short period of time, who is giving these powerful messages in the midst of adversarial audiences? It's Peter. It's Peter. They gave their sentence to them. They were flogged. And they were told not to speak in the name of Jesus. And I just want to mention this. They were flogged. We read that sometimes when we moved on. Okay, so flogging. Stripped naked, tied to a post, and then beaten with whips and rods by Roman soldiers. Okay. The other time it was just don't speak in the name of Jesus. Now the pressure's ratcheted up. There's humiliation that goes with that. You're stripped most of the time with no clothes, shamed 30, 35 times. You know, the, the, the skin literally taken off their back, blood flowing, okay? This time their stand came with a personal cost. It wasn't just a legal warning, but now they were flogged. They were beaten, they were stripped, they were humiliated, and they were told again not to speak in the name of Jesus. Again, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And verse 41 ends this story this way. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Rejoicing that they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow. They were beaten and they didn't stop. They didn't go with self-pity didn't go, they did, it didn't mute their response in any way. They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy, you know, to, for, for the, the suffering for the name of Jesus. And then they went back to the temple courts. They go back to the scene where this has happened before. Third time they head back to the temple courts. Never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow, wow, wow. So as we just kind of close today, just kind of wrapping up, you know, uh, this part of our, our, our study, I want to just maybe go back to the front of, of the message. 
Is there a part of your heart that's maybe not given over to the Lord? Ananias and Sapphira, it was money. It was money that hide them. It may be you. It may be you. Money is your motivating factor. All you think about is climbing the corporate ladder, your 401ks, you know, the, the uh, perception of wealth that you have in the community, where you live, how you live. And money is driving many decisions of your life. To others, it may be something else. But I'm just telling you, sometimes if we don't get a hold of those parts, it can take us down. All right? Or, or we can go, hey, Lord, I've got a need in my life. I think Ananias and Sapphira were probably believers. You know, they were in church. They knew the gospel, but yet they had this one area that they had not, they had not given over to the Lord. So if you've got a part of your heart that you haven't given over to the Lord, I want, because we're going to pray this prayer in just a moment. It says, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and he will purify us from unrighteousness. So if there's a part of your heart that you need to give over to the Lord, I want you to do that. It says he will forgive, but then he'll purify, okay? He's not just gonna forgive your sin, but he's gonna start working on your heart, sanctifying your heart, purifying your heart, that this this area of weakness can be gone, okay? That you won't have to live with this you know, forever. So part of that is opening your heart, letting God forgive you. But as that forgiveness is happening, there's a sanctifying part, a cleansing part that the, that the Lord is doing in your heart as well. We want to give that, we want to give the, the Lord that opportunity. And then I, I just mentioned it a few minutes ago, if you just feel like you failed away from God, feel like you failed a lot of times, you know, you know, you may go, do you know how many times I've prayed the sinner's prayer? You know what? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. You know, if you failed, it's okay. Just let God just, you know, some people get discouraged because they failed. I failed so many times. It's not even worth trying again. And I say wrong. I say wrong. All right. Give the Lord a chance. Give God's grace a chance to work in your life. Give people a chance to speak in your life and pray over you. Because I don't think God's finished with you. I don't think God's finished with you. I, I want to pray today. If you're here and there's a part of your heart that is maybe just not given over to the Lord, something that you stumble over constantly, I'm just going to believe this is going to be a moment of just of freedom and delivery today. If you've uh, you know, committed sins, if you feel like you've gone too far, you've done too much, God's grace is here. Great grace. Let me say that. Let me say that. Lord, I pray today. I pray over those that, that maybe don't have everything given over to the Lord. There's a part of their heart, God, that they, that they just kind of keep to their self. Lord, I pray today. Maybe there's an area, Lord, that they haven't let you work on. God, I pray for the healing touch of the Lord today. And as they confess that sin, as they confess that iniquity in their life, I pray for healing. Lord, I pray that the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, will move upon their heart. Lord, you just don't come, you know, for power and for empowerment, but you also come for cleansing and purification. And God, I pray, God, that you would just set people free 
I pray those that have thought they were slaves to sin and certain habits Lord I pray that those chains and shackles would be broken in Jesus name Lord there was great power there was great grace and I pray God that grace that forgiveness Lord that purity that comes through grace that purification that work of grace Lord would work in our hearts today God I pray I pray today for a power of grace to sweep across this place. I pray for those that have failed. Lord, they've given up. Lord, they've thought I've done it so many times. I'm just embarrassed. Lord, I pray. I pray that you'll speak to their heart and say, not today. I pray that there'll be people here, Lord, that will that will open their heart up. Lord, they'll get out of self-pity. They'll, they'll get out of that moment of failure. God, you'll, you'll work in their heart again. Lord, that you'll resuscitate some ministries Lord as Peter thought it was over Lord but you had a second chapter for him I pray that they'll walk into that grace believe Lord uh, that the gifts and callings are without repentance and Lord you've got another day you got another word there's something else that you want him to do you want him to take the baton again start running for the gospel Lord I pray I pray for that today Lord I pray, oh God, do that work. Do that work today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's sing that again. Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, Check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.